You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, Midtown Beats. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Acts 13, 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. Would you pray uh, with me? Uh, Holy Spirit, we, we come seeking uh, your face, desperate to hear a word from you. Thankful to be in the presence of others, to be those who are in Christ, in him. But we pray that you would fill us up and speak to us as a congregation today. I pray for the person who was here physically, but who was not here mentally. Lord, I know that tension. I pray that you would grab their attention today through your word. Allow us to sit at your feet for this moment. Allow our minds to be at peace. Allow healing to take place. Allow us to see Jesus. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here, and today we are in week two on a series uh, that is all around our values as a church. And the name of the series is Midtown Beats, uh, the tracks we vibe to. And so last week we played the first track. And the first track uh, was about biblical faithfulness and gospel centeredness. As a church, uh, we value, we are putting our our, our flag at the top of the hill to say we value biblical faithfulness and, and gospel centeredness. This week, we're going to look at how we value relentless mission. That is sacrificing and sending uh, to our neighborhoods and to the nations. By God's grace, as I think about Soldier in Midtown, I think that the Lord has allowed us since 2000 to be faithful to this value, to be relentless in mission. We have been able to see a lot of good fruit. Sojourn was started in 2000 with a mission to reach the unchurched as well as the overchurched, to reach those who didn't, do not know Jesus as well as those who grew up in the church and um, and maybe those who did not fit in um, the average church. So they wanted to make a space for people um, to, to be able to be a part of a church that was going to seek and save uh, the lost and go after people who uh, felt like they were misfits. And for 23 years, by God's grace, we have been aiming at that target. And the Lord has helped us um, to, 
to reach that goal and is helping us to be faithful to that goal all the more. But as I think about churches that are relentless in mission, Sojourn is far from the example. And one of the churches that Sojourn very early focused on as an example of a church that is relentless in mission is a church of Antioch or the church at Antioch, which we see in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13. The church at Antioch is an exemplary church. Churches for centuries across denominations has looked at the church of Antioch as the ultimate example of a church that is living on mission for Jesus. And so this morning, we want to look at some observations from that church. We want to join churches who have been looking at this for centuries and say, what is it about the church of Antioch that made the church a church that is exemplary, a church that is relentless in mission? And there are four qualities that we want to look at this morning um, about the church of Antioch that help them to be relentless in mission. The first is this, is that the church was relentless in mission because they were sent with the gospel. Second, because they practice sacrificial generosity. Third, because they are, were a diverse fellowship. And fourth is because they were led by the Holy Spirit. I'll say those again if you're taking notes. First, they were sent with the gospel. Second, they practiced sacrificial generosity. Third, they were a diverse fellowship. And fourth, they were led by the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see today is that each of these were not things that they just came up in a a board strategy room and said, what are the things that we want to be known for? But in fact, at Antioch, the reason that they were known for these things and the reason that we're going to see these in the text is because they were simply following the model of Jesus and the commission of Jesus. Ultimately, the church at Antioch was an exemplary church because they, they held on to what Jesus said and they lived their lives like Jesus lived. And in the same way, God is calling us as a church to hold on to what Jesus has said and to live our lives like Jesus lived his. And our main takeaway and big idea is, is simply that today is that a church that is relentless in mission pursues the loss and the hurting like Jesus did. A church that is living relentless in mission is consistently and habitually pursuing the lost and the hurting like Jesus did. But here's the thing. When we hear that, we can hear the voice of the enemy right now. Some of you, when you heard that, you're like, I am not going to like this sermon because you started doo-dooing on yourself, right? Um, I should do, I should do, I should do, I know I should do. Stop doodling on yourself. That's not attractive, all right? In no context is doodling on yourself attractive. And in the same way, God is not calling us to, to put this burden on ourselves or to pick up this burden and say, I should do, I should do, I should do. God's first invitation, and we're going to see this with the church of Antioch, is to be. And when we take time to be with Jesus, when we take time to, to, to be like a branch in the true vine, this is what the gospel produces in us. This is the fruit that we naturally bear. And so as we look at this church, these four qualities, we're going to start 
by looking at a church that is relentless in mission is sent with the gospel. We're actually going to go back. We're not going to go with Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. We're going to go back a couple chapters to Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 9. I want to walk through verses 19 through 27. And look at this. Now, verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. So we see Uh, that people are scattered as a result of persecution at the martyrdom of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And they scatter all over the place. Now, you may remember Jesus, just before he left, he gave his church a command, a commission, we call it, the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So this is Jesus' play for the church. I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father. But what I have called you to do is to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see a similar Uh, commission, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what we see in the book of Acts is that the church was doing a really good job being a church in Jerusalem, but they weren't doing a great job at scattering. And unfortunately, Stephen's life is taken and persecution hits. And now the church is forced to leave Jerusalem, and they go all over. And one of the places that they land is a place called Antioch. Now, here's the thing about Antioch. According to uh, Josephus, this Jewish historian, it was the, the third most prominent city in Rome, but, but, but uh, behind Rome and Alexandria. It was a major city, a, me- a metropolitan area with a lot of people there, very diverse city. And so what we see is that some people leave Jerusalem And they go to Antioch, and while they're at Antioch, you have two groups of Christians, both doing good, both sharing their faith, both being faithful to the commands of Jesus. One group goes and they just share their faith to their Jewish brothers and sisters. The other group says, no, Jesus says, preach the gospel to everybody, and they do that. And what ends up happening is Gentiles begin to come to faith. Greeks begin to come to faith. We pick up in verse 21. And it says, And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. So a gospel explosion happens. And the reason that it happens is because people are sharing their faith. Now, when we say sharing their faith, what are they sharing? They're sharing the gospel the good news of Jesus. Talk about the good news. We talked about this last week. We're talking about the virgin birth of Jesus, right? We're talking about the virtuous life of Jesus. We're talking about the vicarious death of Jesus. We're talking about the victorious resurrection of Jesus. And we're talking about his return. 
But more than sharing their story, when we look through the gospel of Acts and we look at the apostle Paul specifically, when Paul was sharing the gospel, many times where he started was with his own life and his own story about how he was dead and how Jesus met him. The church at Antioch was sent with the gospel and wherever they went, even when their life was not adding up to what they had wished or thought that it would, being persecuted, leaving family, leaving job, leaving wealth, leaving comfort, forced to leave home, they still were faithful to the commission that Jesus gave. They preached the word in season and out of season. And I love what the text says, word gets back to Jerusalem and the elders there, they're like, yo, Barnabas, Barnabas, whose name is son of encouragement. They was like, why don't you go up there and encourage them? Check it out for us. See if it's real. Right. So Barnabas goes, he checks it out. He sees that it's real. Uh, more people come to faith. And Barnabas is like, man, I've got to let Paul in on this. We've got to establish. We've got so many people here. We need to establish a church. He goes about 100 miles to Tarshish, gets Saul, who later after this chapter will be referred to as Paul, he comes up and they spend a year of their life discipling these new Christians, preaching the gospel to large crowds. That's amazing. And these people at Antioch, they weren't superhuman. They weren't perfect. They were ordinary Christians who were changed by an extraordinary God who simply were faithful in sharing their story and sharing the story. Spent time recently out of town doing, a ministry, doing some ministry at a church and, and one of the persons uh, there was just testifying how their church was in amidst a, a gospel renewal. And he said, you know, uh, honestly, What's happening is, yes, we're seeking the face of Jesus, but we've just determined as a church, we're just going to talk about him everywhere we go. And we've now experienced just baptism after baptism of people wanting to know more about Jesus and coming to faith. He said, it's so crazy. One of my members was at a coffee shop not too long ago. And as he's at the coffee shop, he's sharing the gospel with one person. Um, and I don't know if the gospel took root. The person isn't that he was sharing the gospel isn't the person in the story who's going to come to faith. He says it was a person next to us at the coffee shop at a table who hears the good news of Jesus and says, I need some of that. And the message that we have is a message that the world needs. They may not know that they need it, but they need it. They desperately need it. Their soul needs it, just like your soul needed this gospel. Do you remember where you were when Jesus found you? How desperate and dry your soul was. How you were lost. How you were trapped by your sin. How you didn't think that you were worthy to be loved. How you were groping in the darkness, looking for hope. And how God came into your life, gave you new eyes, gave you a new heart, gave you a new song, gave you a new dance, picked you up and turned you around, placed your feet on, on solid ground, told you that he loved you and that he would never leave you. The church at Antioch 
We're just as special as you and me and every faithful church. They received the gospel, but they determined that we're going to share it with others. Second, not only do we see a church that is relentless in mission is sent with the gospel, a church that is relentless in mission, they practice spiritual or sacrificial generosity, which is spiritual generosity. Amen. We pick up at verse 27. In those days, some prophets came from down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus. He stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. And each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. And they did this, sending it to, to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. This is a beautiful picture, I think, in this passage of a, of a church that's committed to the command of Jesus. We see that some prophets come down from Jerusalem to Antioch. It says one of them named is Agabus, and he has a prediction. The Holy Spirit leads him to share that there's going to be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. Historians uh, teach us that Claudius lived. He was a Roman emperor from uh, 41 AD to 67 AD. And it's a historical fact that there were two major famines during his, ro- during his reign in Rome. And so the prophet tells Agabus, this is coming, this is going to happen. And the disciples, they listen. And two unique things happen. One is They begin to give according to their ability in order to send relief to the church in Judea. But the thing that I really love about this is that this is essentially a a multi-ethnic church now giving to a predominantly Jewish church. The walls of hostility is being, being taken down. And out of gratitude to what the church of Jerusalem did and, and, and investing in these Christians so that they could come to Antioch to share the gospel with them. They said, listen, our brothers and sisters looked out for us by being faithful to this good news, by not allowing it to stop with them. And we, as a result, need to be faithful to the Lord and give to them so that the mission will continue to move forward. Because if there's persecution happening in Rome, and if it's already happening there in Jerusalem, our brothers and sisters are going to be in great need. And they didn't just give. It appears in the way that this text is written that they just kind of proactively gave. This is what's coming. Let's get ahead. Let's give to the church at Jerusalem. It's impossible for a church to be relentless in mission without sacrificial giving. It's it's impossible for the mission of God to to go forth without people saying, hey, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'm going to personally steward my finances, knowing that others in the church is doing the same so that we can put our monies together so that the gospel can go forth. The reason why Midtown, by God's grace and God's grace alone, still has a strong, strong ascending wing at this church is because of the sacrificial giving of our members. 
You know, I was just praising God the other day because of the way our church responded during uh, the pandemic. 2020, people are hurting. People in our church are hurting. People lost their job in our churches before the government had a plan to step in. There were businesses in our community that were hurting that uh, some pastors had established relationships with and people were really struggling. Businesses were struggling to play employees. And we put out a call to our church and we raised over $50,000. In fact, we raised so much money that we still have a large part of that money, which is now going to local missions and to help people who are in need both in our church and beyond. What? (laughs) That was beautiful. We're still living off of that. I was talking to one of our pastors who oversees that fund. He's like, man, this fund and the way that people are continuing to give to this fund, we can really have, be able to do this for the next three to five years. And that's a result of you all responding to God's call in your life and to our church's call to help those who are hurting and who are in need. Man, when you give and when you sacrificially give your money's go. And it makes a direct impact for God's kingdom. Just this past week in the park, we were able to serve ice cream sandwiches to people in this community in order to try to lift up uh, people's spirit here in Shelby Park. And it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It's a result of your faithful giving. Around Christmas, we were able to turn this sanctuary into a and to a store where people can come and buy high quality gifts for a portion of the price so that um, kids in this neighborhood and in this city can have a, a good Christmas. That's a result of your giving. We're able to partner with ministries like Seed to Oaks, who helps us to put on medical clinics throughout the year where we are able to serve people who do not have access to good medical care. That is a result of your giving. In the last 14 years, we've been able to send out churches um, domestically who are are planting churches as a result of your giving. We have a church in Pittsburgh, Renaissance, just had a team come back. They are flourishing. The gospel is going forth. Pastor Rob Main, as a result of your faithful giving. Realm Church in Oakland, California, as a result of your faithful giving. Citizens Church. And Birmingham, Alabama is flourishing. A gospel awakening is happening there as a result of your giving. That's not to mention Carlisle or the 3% that goes to the Harbor Network to help us to plant thriving churches. It's a result of the sacrificial generosity of God's people. When we think about the generosity of God's people, we also have to think about those who are abroad right now. Right now we have 38 adults, 38 adults serving on the mission field who came through our pipeline, who are serving internationally. Many of them um, we can't bring on a stage on a Sunday morning and ask them to tell us about what they're doing because it will be um, a risk to their life. 43 kids, that's a part of those 38 adults. And this is a result of your faithful giving. This year, over $80,000 from this congregation will go to those families and others as a result of your giving. And we've got 18 more people in the pipeline who are discerning a call from God to be sent abroad. And as one of your pastors, I want to say thank you. And we are proud of the legacy that God has given us to steward. 
And I also want to live in that tension of, of while we're thankful and we're grateful and we want to press into that so that we can continue to be relentless in mission, we also are well aware that 30% of our congregation could carry about 80% of the giving. And I think 70% of the people in our church, all who may not be able, but some who are able to give sacrificially are missing out on the joy of being a part of what God is doing here and in the nations. This church was generous. They gave faithfully. And it's no small thing that this happened. Why is it no small thing that this happened? Because the Bible records it. (laughs) This was a part of their DNA. They received generosity from God. And as a result of receiving that generosity, they didn't allow it to just stop with them. They weren't just give me, give me, give me. They were like, no, God has given to me. I can't sit on this. I have to give both the gospel and generosity, knowing that all that I have is from him. Third, a church that is relentless in mission is a diverse fellowship. Is a diverse fellowship. Look at verse 1 in chapter 13. This diversity, I mean, the church of Antioch was so attractive. And it's so confusing to those in the Roman world. They were just breaking up all of these different affinity groups and just living counterculturally and differently, where you had people from from all different types of of giftings, different types of cultures, different classes coming together with Jesus in common, living their lives as one. Verse 1 says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, diversity of gifts. Even within his leadership team that Luke is about to record, he's like, hey, I want you to know there wasn't just one type of leader. There was... There's a diversity of giftings in leadership. Some were prophets, some were teachers. This takes us back to Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul says that having Jesus had ascended unto heaven and he left gifts for the church. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, some teachers to equip the church for the work of the ministry. So the first century church, there were apostles, those who personally met Jesus Christ and received a a commission to set the pace for for doctrine and life for the church. There were prophets, those who for that time being was given a, a predictive word in line with the Old Testament scriptures in light of Christ to move people forth. There were evangelists, those who were gifted at just telling people the good news while we all have a responsibility. Some people just got that anointing on them where it's just like, man, you just talk about Jesus and people who are saved want to get to know him again, right? And then there was those teachers, those who were gifted at just opening up a text and just talking about Jesus and bringing it to life. In the same way for the church, the the Lord has, has equipped the body in the same way. We don't have capital A apostles, but we do have people who have that type of energy to start things, to, to establish things. We do have people who are able to discern in a, in a prophetic way and just listen and then just speak the word in an on-time manner. 
And the church needs all those gifts, and not just those gifts. We need the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and Romans 12, the gifts of administration, the gifts of help, the gifts of hospitality. Some of y'all's smile is just anointed. You just know how to welcome people. The church has been gifted by Jesus to run as a, a body to reach people in that neighborhood, in their city, with the gospel. Everyone's not called to, to preach or to teach. And James says, hey, man, if I was you, I wouldn't run fast after that because the person who is teaching is going to be held to a higher standard. But some of you have been called to, to disciple one-on-one, to share the gospel with kids, and we need more kids served. Share the gospel with kids, to greet people as they come in, from, from outside, weary and tired, straggling in with questions on their mind just to say, hi, how are you doing? To, to love on those kids and, and S2, to be able to share with them how God saved you and how you may have wasted so much time not following Jesus and you don't want them to do the same. Some of y'all got the gift to just fix stuff, stuff break. You don't even have to go to YouTube to watch a video. You just fix it. <laughs> You ain't like me. You're like, I got to watch that again. My son's like, can you fix this or not? <laughs> you know what? I got to go ask your mama. I can't transform a transformer to save my life. Amen. <laughs> I'll be playing it off good, though. He just think I always run out of time. I'm like, no, go ask your mama. Uh, some of y'all got that gift. <laughs> and we need that diversity of gifts. We also see this ethnic diversity. This is amazing. Two of the names that's listed here are North African. Then you have Barnabas, who's Jewish. And you have Paul, who was converted from being a zealous Pharisee. Man, the gospel, when it does its work, when Jesus gets a hold of you, I don't care where you're from. I don't care your background. I don't care what you've been through or what you've Done. He, can, he can bring renewal and, and new life. You become a new creation. And all of us in here has a story if we are in Christ Jesus. And if we're honest, that story is not pretty and it's not clean. But God treats us as if we are perfect because of what Christ has done for us. He died not just instead of me, but he died for me and you. beautiful diversity. It's one of the things I'm just so excited. You guys know we're just excited about our church that God is bringing forth this diversity of gifts, this diversity of ethnicity, and an area that the Lord is really challenging us on and we're praying for us. We want that diversity of class. We want to be a church where anyone feels welcome and you don't have to feel like you have to be at a certain place in life in order to belong the church should be a place where everyone can belong, no matter what stage of life they are in, no matter what income bracket they are in or out, no matter the color of their skin. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus was so, man, that brother, he was so fascinating, wasn't he? Got a big speaking engagement going across town to talk somewhere. Kids are running up to him. The disciples are like, look, he's really important, VIP. 
He's like, suffer the little kids to come to me. Had women who were wealthy following him, as well as women who the world had just given up on because their, their past was so convoluted and broken. All just mixing it up. Had a zealot constantly out trying to uproot Rome and a tax collector working on behalf of Rome eating together, chopping it up. And the more time went, the more diverse the body got because they had him, the one who died and who rose from the dead, at the front of their minds and in their hearts. This is the church. Finally, In fact, I want to share one, one quote. Second century Christian named Justin, he says this, we who, was once despised and de- who once despised and destroyed each other and who refused to hold anything in common with people who are not of the same tribe, due to their differing customs, we now live in common. Amen? All right, we're about to button that point up and move to the fourth one. All right. The fourth quality we see here with the church of Antioch is that the church, a church that is relentless in mission is led by the Holy Spirit. It's led by the Holy Spirit. Look at your Bibles. Pick back up where we, where we left off in verse 2. As they were worshiping, another way to interpret that word is serving. As they were worshiping, as they were serving the Lord, as they were adoring him, as they were doing the practices that he practiced. And fasting. Fasting was a discipline that the early church did Wednesdays and Fridays for uh, those early centuries. They, They fasted. Now, for some people, fasting is not wise. Perhaps you have a, a eating disorder or a medical issue. But for those who are able, it can be a great, a great discipline to actually strengthen you. You say fasting and strengthening, that don't make sense. When I fast, I'm not strengthened. I'm weakened. I feel you. The first few days, it's hard. But fasting doesn't deplete us once it becomes a discipline. It actually strengthens us spiritually. That's why when we read Matthew chapter 4, and in Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and we see Satan coming to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. We're like, oh, well, he came and tempted Jesus when Jesus was at his weakness. No, literally Satan, no, he came at the right time. Jesus was strong. He's always strong, but he, was, he had that extra spiritual Bigger, because his eyes was on his father and what his father had called him to do. So while they were worshiping, while they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said to the leaders, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Do you see what happened there? This is a culture of seeking the face of the Lord. They prayed, they fast, they heard from the Spirit. After the Spirit spoke, they went right back to seeking the face of the Lord. So being sent out, verse 4, by the Holy Spirit, they went on mission. 
A church that is relentless in mission is a church that is seeking the face of the Lord. You said, seek my face. That's what the psalmist says, your face will I seek. That is the, that's the mindset of a church on mission. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. That's the, that's the mindset of a church that is relentless on mission. And when they see uh, another member of the church who is, who is losing fervor, who is hurting, who is, is lagging behind, they come and they care for them. They nurse them back to health. They, they sit with them. They weep with them. And then they say, now, let's, let's go. Throughout the book of Acts, as David Cook in his commentary shows, when the Holy Spirit speaks, the majority of the time he speaks, he sang go. Acts chapter five. Holy Spirit speaks. What does he say? Go. Stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. <laughs> go to the to, south to the road, the desert road. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. Speaking of Saul, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Acts 18, 10, for I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in the city. This is God telling Paul to actually stay in Corinth, but to go forth with the gospel because he has ordained for many people in the city to be saved. And if we say that we walk in the spirit, and we're living by the spirit and the spirit is never telling us to go to do anything comfortable. We might not be walking in the spirit. This is not something we can force. This is not something that we can continue faithfully in our own strength. This is something that happens when we seek the face of Jesus, when we make time throughout the week to worship him. I love what Thomas Kramer says about prayer. He has a great quote. He says this. He says, prayer is the key to unlocking God's guidance and peace. What is prayer? Prayer is just conversing with God. It's just having a conversation with him. It's talking to him. It's adoring him. It's confessing sin. It's giving thanks. It's making our supplications known to him. When we develop that relationship of praying to God and listening to God, we, like this leadership team, begin to hear the voice of the Lord saying, go, this person in the store looks Lonely, they look broken, they look confused, and you just go and say, Hi, how are you doing? I just felt uh, a nudge to just come over and make sure you're okay. You're like, That doesn't happen, it does happen. That's how I came back to the Lord because a pastor had a nudge as he was praying and walking through the store and saw this dude who was high as a kite, lost and confused because he had lost some of his friends and felt lonely and started to drift away from the teachings that he was raised with. Go. Go. So here's my question for you as we close. My question is, is where do you feel the Holy Spirit pressing you this morning? You can't 
walk out of here and just say, hey, all four of these things, I'm just about to go and I'm about to apply. I want you to pick one area, one area this week and to pray about it. And for the next couple of weeks, just to focus on that. Perhaps it's you being sent with the gospel. Some of you have not shared your faith in like so long, it feels like forever. Explore that. Why, why is that? Why is the gospel not a source of hope and joy for you? Why is that not bubbling over? What has Satan taken from you? Where is he deceiving you? What has become more important than the salvation that you received in Christ and the sanctification, sanctification that you experienced in the spirit? Why is sharing the faith for everyone else and not you? How does the gospel speak to that? Sit and listen and hear the Lord remind you of your belovedness in him, that we all are the chief of sinners and no one deserves the life that we have been given. But in Christ, we are whole and we all can share the gospel without guilt, fear or shame. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe we're living to the fullness of our capacity, trying to keep up with the Joneses rather than submit our lives to Jesus. What does it look like for that to change, for us to cultivate contentment with where we are so that we can give generously to the mission? Perhaps it's diverse fellowship. Perhaps you look around and you're like, man, my life is completely homogenous. I only hang out with people who look just like me and who act just like me. Man, you are, li- you are missing out on life. Begin to pray for courage. That the Lord will help you to know those who are in our church, who are in the faith, who are not like you, and even those who are outside. Perhaps it's to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. To be more sensitive to his voice in the day to day. To allow him to break up your routine a little bit. To allow you to be a little less A-type. And should, 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 and more like, Lord, what do you want from me today? Pick one thing. Next three weeks, just make that a matter of prayer. Seek the face of Jesus and in seeking his face, you will see this Jesus who was sent out with the gospel, who came preaching the message of the kingdom and who came to you, this Jesus who was so generous that he gave up his life. He who was rich became poor for you and for me. This Jesus who cultivated a diverse life and a diverse fellowship so much that people confused him with being a drunkard and an outcast. This Jesus who allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him up that Via Della Rosa, that hill called Calvary to be stretched wide, to have three nails put in his body to be dropped low, to be buried in Joseph's borrowed tomb. But as you look at him, don't leave him in that tomb. Know that he got up on the third day with all power in his hand. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com.
Facebook.com slash Midtown.